Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. The media usually portrays angels as meek and mild-mannered. So you might find it surprising that the Bible depicts them as fierce military fighters. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his series, Angels with a look at more characteristics of these heavenly beings that pop culture got wrong. To introduce the conclusion of his message, What Are Angels Anyway? Here's David. Well, thank you for joining us. Hey, down the road in this series, we're going to talk about garden angels. We're going to talk about the fallen angel. Here's one. Hell's angels, angels in death, angel of the Lord, angels in Jesus, and finally angels in you. I hope you'll be with us every day as we talk about this biblical subject. Remember I told you that um, the word angel is found in the Bible a lot of times. In fact, it's in the Old Testament 108 times, in the New Testament 165 times. So it is a body of work in in the Bible worthy of our study and investigation. Uh, When we finish with this study, whenever you see that word in the Bible, it will have new meaning to you and will also help you fend off some of the craziness that's wrapped around angels in our culture today. You can get a copy of the book on angels for a gift of any size during the month of July. I just hope you will do that because more than anything, I want to send this book to you. I want you to have it for your own resource and to share it with others. It's full of stories and illustrations and explanations and applications, and it will be a great asset to you. It's beautifully designed in a kind of new soft cover that's got some texture to it, and I think you'll enjoy having it and reading it and perhaps even sharing it. All you have to do is send the gift and ask for the book, and we'll send it to you. So let's get started with this discussion. Uh, We're back to What Are Angels Anyway? Part 2, right here on Turning Point. Now, most of you are like me. We've been sort of oblivious to angels most of our lives. So there's really no telling how many times they've intervened when we've needed them. But we are not usually aware of the intervention of angels in our lives because they're invisible. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, if angels are invisible, then how is it that so many angel sightings have been reported both in the Bible and in today's world? There has to be an answer to that, and frankly, there are two answers to it. And they're both right from the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. And let me teach you a little bit from this passage in the life of Abraham. You remember the story of how Abraham was so concerned about his nephew Lot because Lot was in a lot of trouble. He was in Sodom. And so he was pleading to God that Lot would be rescued. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 18 that God heard his prayer. And beginning at the beginning of the chapter, it says, And the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tenth door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Now, if we had time to read the rest of this text, we would discover that one of these three men were actually 
Jehovah, the Lord, he's mentioned several times in the passage, and the other two men were angels. But when Abraham saw them, they just appeared to him like three men. Here's the point. One of the reasons why people see angels is because angels have the ability to appear to us as human beings if they choose to do so or if God so ordains. In this story, they appeared to Abraham as Jesus and two angels, all three of them looking like men. And I went through the story and wrote down in my notes that if you read it carefully, you will see that these angels ate, they washed, they walked, they held hands, and they took a physical form. They looked like men. But in the midst of the story, as you know, as Abraham was pleading with them for his nephew's life, the Lord said to the other two who were with him, you go down there and take care of Lot and get him out of the mess that he's in. And so we read in chapter 19 and verse 1, watch this. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Who are the two angels? The two angels are the two men of the 18th chapter. They were disguised as men and looked upon as men. And then the Bible tells us who they really were. They were angels. So that's why some of you have told me the stories you've told me. How that somebody was in the hospital and you went in and there was a man There in the hospital room that nobody could identify. You didn't know where he came from or where he went. And he was there in a helping, ministering way. And you believe it was an angel. And it very well may have been because angels have the ability to put themselves in human form so they can be seen. That's one of the reasons why angels have sightings these days. But there's another reason. And it's even more exciting to me. And that is not only can angels appear in the form of a human being... But oftentimes, God can open the eyes of individuals so that they can see what otherwise would be unseen. And I want to tell you two stories to illustrate that from the Bible. One of them is one of the most humorous stories that I have ever read in the scriptures. It's found in Numbers chapter 22 and 23. And it is a a very interesting story. It is the story of Israel in their military campaigns. And Israel had developed a reputation of defeating everybody they fought against because they had Jehovah God on their side. Well, the king of Moab was a man by the name of Balak. He had heard about how Israel was being so rough on their enemies. And Balak got this idea that the way he could keep Israel off his back was to go and find the prophet Balaam and pay Balaam enough money so that he would curse Israel and then Israel wouldn't be a threat to him. So if you read the story, you know, he goes and he finds Balaam and he says, I want you to go and curse Israel. And Balaam says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to the Lord about it and see what he says. So he talked to the Lord. The Lord said, don't do it. He went back and he said, I can't do this. The Lord said, I can't do it. And so Balak says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll up the ante. I'll give you some more money. I'll I'll make it more attractive to you. So he says, well, let me go tell the Lord. Now he went back and told the Lord. The Lord said, I don't want you to do this. And so he came back the third time. And finally, the Lord said, you go with him, but you tell him only what I tell you to tell him. So here's the story. Balaam gets on his donkey, and along with the king of Moab, Balak, they head off toward Moab. And on their way, they get to a place, and the donkey stops. Now, Balaam's a little upset about this because the donkey stopped and won't go forward. And he starts, you know, I'm imagining a little bit, but he starts working his donkey over. So finally, the donkey goes off the path over out of the way and runs up against the wall, just about breaks old Balaam's leg. And he's really getting upset about this now. And the more upset he gets, the more angry he gets. In fact, in one place in the scripture, he says to the donkey, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. The donkey just finally sat down and wouldn't move. And Balaam is really frustrated. And finally, 
what we discover as we read the story is that the reason that the donkey sat down was that the angel of the Lord was standing in the pathway in front of the donkey and it terrified the poor animal. The donkey saw what Balaam couldn't see. And there is some discussion as you read the story as to which of the two is really the donkey. Now, I'm not sure in this whole story which one fits where. But then I want you to notice what happens. All of a sudden, in the midst of this story, and read the verse, Numbers 22, 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell down on his face. What happened was, the angel was there all of the time. The donkey saw it first. And then God opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw it. Sometimes angels are seen because God opens the eyes of those who are watching so they can see what otherwise they wouldn't be able to see. Here's one other illustration. In the book of 2 Kings, there's the story of the war between Israel and Syria. I never have quite understood why the Syrians thought it was so important to go and kill Elisha. But they sent their whole army to Dothan where Elisha lived just to kill the prophet. You know, in a time of war, a spiritual man who's living right with God can be a great threat to those who don't know God. So they thought the way that they would be able to beat Israel would be to take out the prophet. So they sent their armies to Dothan. Well, one day in this story, Elisha's servant was out walking around, you know, just maybe having an after-dinner walk. And all of a sudden, he comes running back into camp and he says to Elisha, the mountains are filled with the Syrian army. What are we going to do? And Elisha said, don't sweat it. He said, those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. And I've often wondered if the servant must have thought that Elisha had really flipped out. Because all he saw in the mountain were the Syrian soldiers. And all he saw when he came back to camp was himself and Elisha. But Elisha says, no, no, we got more than they do. And then we read in 2 Kings 6, 17, these words. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. There it is. Chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you see, men and women, sometimes God just opens the eyes of people so they can see what others cannot see. Do you think God can do that? Surely he can. A more modern story took place in the early 1950s Mau Mau uprisings that spread throughout the African country of Kenya. The movement protested the colonial domination of the British, but American missionaries were often the targets of brutal attacks also. A group of missionaries with the African Inland Mission in Kajabi, Kenya, learned of an imminent attack on their mission. The Mau Mau warriors moving through the area planned to kill them and any Africans who had believed the Christian message. So warned, the missionaries and the African Christians gathered their families onto the mission base. The men decided that they would defend their families the best they could. They took a few rolls of barbed wire and made a barricade, turned on the floodlights that they had on the base, and then they waited. On the night of the expected attack, the men put their wives and children in the centermost building and told them to pray. The men stood guard with a few weapons at their disposal. They waited all night, but no attack came. They rejoiced in God's protection, but the full story remained unknown to them. Several months later, one of the missionaries led a captured Mau Mau warrior to faith in Christ Jesus. After his conversion, the man told the missionary his story. 
On the night the attack was to be executed, he was among a large contingent of warriors who had surrounded the mission. And just as they were about to attack from all sides, large fiery creatures, there it is again, large fiery creatures appeared from out of the night. The creature stood between the Mau Mau and the missionaries and raced in a circle around the barricade. Frightened by the sight, the warriors fled from the area and refused to return. Now the missionaries may not have seen them, but God opened the warriors' eyes to see what normally would have been invisible, his band of holy angels. Angels are spirit beings, but occasionally God allows these mighty creatures to step into realms and render service to those who will inherit salvation. And that's what happened. So let's review. Angels are innumerable and they're invisible, but they become visible to us because often God can make them take on the character of a human. And sometimes God miraculously opens the eyes of individuals so they can see what otherwise would not be seen. Let me speak to you thirdly about the fact that angels are invincible. They are powerful. I was reading something that really amused me. Some of you know how much I love C.S. Lewis. He has written a parody called The Screwtape Letters, which is a parody on the Christian war, the war that we fight in Christian realm. In The Screwtape Letters, he has something to say about angels, which kind of gives us some idea of how insipid our concept of angels has become over the years. He talks about the art that has grown up around angels from the very beginning. And this is what he says. He says, Fra Angelical's angels carry in their face the gesture and peace and authority of heaven. Later came the chubby and infantile nudes of Raphael. Finally, the soft, slim, girlish, and consolatory angels of the 19th century art. He said, in scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. And the angel always begins in scripture by saying, fear not. He said, the Victorian angel looks as if it were going to say, they're there. (laughs) I thought, yeah, that's the way we approach angels today, like a household pet, you know, somebody that we can bring into our life to kind of be a little encouragement to us. But you know what? The Bible teaches that angels are incredibly powerful creatures of God. In the book of Revelation, the term strong angel and mighty angel appears. In fact, Gabriel One of God's chief angels, the term Gabriel means the mighty one of God. In the New Testament, when angels are listed in the designation of power, the term that is used to describe them is the word power, dunamis, which is the word from which we get our word dynamite. (laughs) They're powerful. David the psalmist describes them like this in Psalm 103 verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Daniel gave credit to the angels for delivering him from the lion's den. Daniel 6, 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. And in one night, according to the Old Testament, one single angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. Do you remember that story? In 2 Kings 19.35, we read, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses, all dead. And I always smile when I read that verse because that's the only kind of corpse I ever heard of is a dead one. I don't know why that's there, but it's sort of like to make dead sure we know he's dead, you know. But the point is that one angel did that. In one night, he slew the Syrian soldiers. Angels are not playthings. They're powerful things. 
In Matthew 28 and verse 2, in the resurrection story, we're told that one angel rolled the stone away from the grave. Not so that Jesus could get out, but so that the people could look in and see that it was empty. And people who have studied that say that that piece of granite, eight feet in diameter and two feet thick, would have weighed some four tons or 8,000 pounds. And if you read the story carefully in the language of the New Testament, you discover that the angel didn't just pull the wedge out from under the stone and let it roll down the hill. The angel flipped that stone as if it were a pebble and it landed over in the field away from the tomb. That was what was so amazing about it. One angel did that. In the book of Revelation, we see angels holding the four winds of heaven, discharging the vials of judgment, sending down Jehovah's wrath upon the guilty nations that have rejected him. And Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, says that when Jesus Christ appears, it is going to be with his mighty angels, 2 Thessalonians 1.7, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And if you're writing the references down, read the next verse too, because it goes on to say, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Angels are powerful. They're invincible. They're not playthings. They're not pets. They're not nice little things to believe in. The angels of God, his immediate and first creation of anything that has personality, the angels of God are invincible. They're powerful. They're not omnipotent as God is, but they are powerful. Let me add this really quick thought that angels are also immortal. Angels never die. Luke chapter 20 verse 36 says, neither can they die anymore for they are equal to the angels. The angels do not die. There are exactly as many angels today as there were on the second day of creation. None of them have died because angels don't have physical bodies. They don't know anything of what it's like to get ill or grow old or decay or eventually die. Angels don't know anything of the limitations that are part of having a physical body. God created them as non-physical beings. It's interesting to note that in Daniel 9, for instance, the angel Gabriel appeared to the prophet Daniel. Then more than 500 years later, this same unaged Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was exactly the same Gabriel. He hadn't changed at all. He was the unaged Gabriel, the angel of God. They are immortal. Last but not least, angels are intrigued by salvation. The Bible tells us that angels are aware of every moment when a person repents of his sin and becomes a Christian. And according to Luke 15, 10, they rejoice. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the angels rejoice because of what has happened when a person has trusted Christ as their Savior. Isn't that a thrilling thought? The angels really know what's going on. One writer says that they set the bells of heaven to ringing with their rejoicing before the Lamb of God. Yet although the angels rejoice when the people of God repent and are redeemed, listen carefully now, they cannot do one thing. They cannot testify personally to something that they have never experienced. They can only point to the experiences of the redeemed, but they can never say, I know what it's like to have been lost and to now have been found. I know what it's like to have found Christ. I know what it's like to be redeemed because angels don't know that experience. 
And that's what 1 Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 1.12 when we read, To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Watch this last phrase. Which things angels desire to look into. They wish they could understand what we've experienced, but they cannot. There is nobody who can ever know what it's like to be born again who has never been born again. There's no one who can ever know what it's like to be overwhelmed with the burdens of sin and guilt and unforgiveness and then have one day the Holy Spirit come into your heart and the Spirit of God quicken your heart and Jesus come and forgive it all. The only ones who will ever know that are the people of God who have experienced it. It kind of feels good to be one up on the angels, doesn't it? (laughs) Back in 1924, Reverend Johnson Oatman Jr. and John R. Sweeney wrote a hymn about this very thought. And I remember growing up in the church when my father was a pastor and we'd have evangelistic crusades or we'd have a special night in our church. It seemed like the best singer we had in the church would always be chosen and they'd come and sing this song. It was one of the great songs that was always sung. I haven't heard it sung in years. But the message of this song is the message of the intrigued angels. Listen to the words of it. It is called, Holy, Holy is what the angels sing. There is singing up in heaven such as we have never known, where the angels sing the praises of the Lamb upon the throne. Their sweet harps are ever tuneful and their voices always clear. Oh, that we might be more like them while we serve the Master here. Then the angels stand and listen, for they cannot join the song. Like the sound of many waters by that happy blood-washed throng. For they sing about great trials, battles fought, and victories won. And they praise their great Redeemer who has said to them, well done. So although I'm not an angel, still I know that over there, I will join a blessed chorus that the angels cannot share. I will sing about my Savior who upon dark Calvary freely pardoned my transgressions and died to set a sinner free. And then the chorus goes like this. Holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I expect to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when I sing redemption story, they will fold their wings. For angels never felt the joys that our salvation brings. (laughs) Amen. Isn't it wonderful to be redeemed? Isn't it wonderful to be forgiven? As great and mighty and powerful as the angels are, they cannot know the joy of a single moment that we know who have had the Lord Jesus wipe our sin away and give to us the righteousness which is His alone. Well, I remember the song, Angels Never Knew the Joy That Our Salvation Brings. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? That we're one up on the angels. We know redemption. They can only look at it and wonder about it because they've never experienced it. They certainly do admire it. They're probably among the choristers who sing when any of us become a Christian. But angels don't know about redemption because they've never been lost, so they don't need to be found. But we have the joy of having understood what we once were and what happened when God intervened in our lives to make us what we now are. So we can rejoice in the joy of our salvation. Um, Angels don't know that. And of course, you know, there's a whole group of angels who 
fell from heaven, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, they can never be redeemed. They can never know this joy. So if you haven't thought about it, sometime today, just bow your head and say, Lord, thank you for doing something for me you never even could do for the angels. Thank you for giving me my life in Jesus Christ, and you'll be blessed and encouraged. Tomorrow, we will begin two days of discussing angels you have heard about, angels whose names you may have heard. Who are these angels and what are they all about? Uh, We'll start that tomorrow on the Wednesday edition of Turning Point. I hope you'll be with us when we do that. We also want you to be aware of the fact that we have study guides for this this series on angels. We also we have the book that I've been telling you about that you can get for a gift of any size during the month of July. All you have to do is send the gift and ask for the book and we'll send it to you. But you can also get the study guide and a series of CDs by just going to davidjeremiah.org and finding out how you order that and uh, you can have it sent right to your home. Uh, It's great, great material for small groups. I can only tell you what I hear all over the country. People tell me we do small groups from the study guides. They buy the study guides for everybody. They get the book and the CDs for the facilitator, and they have a great time studying God's Word. You can do that. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. How is Turning Point ministering to you? Write and let us know at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. It will give you a biblical look at angels, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com Bible. We hear a lot about moderation these days, the advantage of living somewhere in the middle when it comes to food, money, exercise, and other pursuits. But moderation is not a new idea. The book of Proverbs records the words of a man who hoped he didn't have too little 
so he wouldn't steal, or too much so he wouldn't forget about God. But since we can't always control what we have, perhaps we should make peace and contentment our goal, like the Apostle Paul. When we learn the secret of contentment, we can be thankful whether we have a little or a lot. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons to be content on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.